As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Straight Out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. Each and every week we bring you the best blues analysis courtesy of The Athletic's Chelsea experts. On this episode, we're reflecting on back-to-back defeats at Everton and Wolves. We'll react to a tricky Champions League draw, look ahead to Monday's meeting with West Ham, now minus supporters, and round up the rest of the blues news. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic, this is Straight Out of Cobham, downer episode. Yes, hello listener, Matt Davis-Adams here. We're coming to you a little later this week, but that's so we can look back on the game at Wolves. Uh, who is we though? Well, Liam Toomey for one. Hi, Liam. Hello. Uh, Dominic Fifield is with us too. Morning, Dom. Morning, Matt. How are you doing? And who could forget the incomparable Simon Johnson? It's a sombre hello for me to reflect <laughs> what's happened. Quite. Uh, well, before we begin, let me remind you that right now, if you subscribe to The Athletic, you can give another subscription as a gift for free. It's the perfect present for any football fan this Christmas. Enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. Wave goodbye to 2020. Say hello to 2021 by sharing the gift of The Athletic's unrivaled football coverage for the whole year. It's the perfect present for yourself and someone else. Just go to theathletic.com slash ChelseaPod. That's theathletic.com slash ChelseaPod and sign up now. Well, Chelsea played twice since last we met. The annual defeat at Goodison Park was followed by arguably the Blues' poorest performance of the season at Molyneux on Tuesday. Uh, That game freshest in the memory, so we'll focus mainly on it, but we'll look for themes from both of them. Liam, I said that that was Chelsea's poorest performance so far this season. Do Do you agree with that? Well, I haven't had a full night's sleep, so I can't remember much football that happened before <laughs> yesterday, but it was certainly right up there. Chelsea offered very little in the first half. I mean, neither did Wolves, to be fair. It it felt like a kind of rerun of the, of the Chelsea Spurs game in terms of the attacking verve being shown by both sides. Um, but Chelsea were, were just about the better team in the first half. They played most of the game in the Wolves' half uh, and created a couple of chances, most notably that incredible Air Zuma header. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the second half, you know, they, they did 
they did exactly what you would have hoped for Chelsea to do in a game like this, which is to to get a breakthrough quite early in the second half. I mean, it was slightly fortunate that Giroud shot creeps through Reed Patricio's hands. Um, but being 1-0 up is, in theory, where you want to be against Wolves because they're a counter-attacking team and now you can give them a taste of their own medicine. And I think that was the main source of Lampard's frustration after the game was that once Chelsea went ahead, they just didn't manage the situation well enough at all. Um, and the, in terms of the goals they conceded, it felt like a rerun of last season's worst um, problems. You know, a, a corner that they don't properly clear and ends up being an equaliser. And then a counter-attack in the last minute where they're, they're going forward trying to win the game, but they overcommit. The entire middle of the team completely disappears. And then it's brilliantly taken by Pedro Neto. I mean, fantastic run and finish. But those are the kinds of goals you can concede if if the entire structure of the team sort of disintegrates at a key moment. So you could see Lampard's frustration after the game. He was clearly of the mind that this was a failure of game management on behalf of the players rather than anything he did tactically. I know I know fans will be divided on that. But it was certainly not not a great night and not the response that anyone was looking for after Everton. Yeah, naivety was was the word he, he used a lot, Simon, in, in terms of saying that he'd explained to the players that the Wolves were a counter-attacking team and that Chelsea needed to try and contain that and, and yet they didn't. It, Liam sort of alluded to it there as to where the blame lies. The manager's got to take some of the culpability for that, hasn't he? As always, yeah. I mean, any, any manager after a bad result questions are going to be asked and I'm sure Lampard will be asking those questions of himself too of whether he could have done anything different um, the the sort of use of Werner and Pulisic um, certainly raised a few eyebrows the fact that, that Pulisic was moved after looking quite dangerous on the left flank um, in the first half and, and then spent the whole of the second half out on the right flank didn't and, and went very quiet but I sort of think over the two games, the Everton defeat and the Wolves defeat, you could call it a tie in terms of worst performance. I think I think people, it's very easy to just sort of reflect on the Wolves games the worst because it's the most recent. But I think Chelsea also showed a lot of naivety against Everton as well. Um, you know, they've played that game against Everton many, many times before of, of being out-muscled and, and, and sort of struggling with their physical approach and hitting long balls. And the, and the last thing you want to do against Everton is go behind early because it just plays into their hands. Um, against Wolves, I, I just think there was, weirdly, they, when, when they went in front, everything was under control. They, they, and, then, and then Wolves scored out of nothing and it was the reaction, or, albeit that the, the lack of reaction to, to the equaliser that was alarming. And perhaps even more so, was they just fell off a cliff energy-wise. They they just looked like... It looked like Wolves were the far fitter team because up until they scored, Wolves had posed very, very little threat. Um, but there was only one winner in the last 20 minutes. Wolves had all the energy. It looked like the impact off the bench was a lot stronger. You know, for all the outcry over Kai Havertz's performance, Kovacic came on and, and arguably Chelsea were even worse. So you can't sort of just lay the blame at Kai Havertz. I don't think Kovacic did himself any favours either. Um, all in all, it's it's a very, um, let's just say it's a massive reality check, these two performances in terms of all this title talk that's been going on in recent weeks. Mm. Um, Dom, Simon's touched on, on team selection there. Were you as surprised as I was to see 
Thiago Silva to some extent and, and Olivier Giroud to a, to a large extent start both these two games combined age of 70 and and in the case of Giroud I know he got the goal but Tammy Abraham scored a hat-trick against Wolves last season I was really expecting him to to feature from the off in this yeah I had anticipated Abraham featuring I, I, it's slightly difficult with with Thiago Silva because they look so much better when he plays um, and I don't think Chelsea are at a point with their back line yet where they can uh, get by without him in trickier games, and and let's we should we should acknowledge that you know Chelsea going to Everton and going to Wolves that they they are two tricky games. I mean I know they had a fantastic win at Wolves last season, but but Wolves in general are a, are a team on the up and a, a team of some some clout these days. And 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 the reality is as it stands at the moment, and I know there is a, a load of games that are going to be played on, on Wednesday night that will change this, but Chelsea have not beaten the team in the top half of the table this season as it stands at the moment. Um, that's I mean, They've only scored four goals in the six matches they have played against teams in the top half of the table, and I think that's a, a better reflection of where they're at at the moment uh, as, a, as a squad um, and in the development phase they're in. Um, you can put that down to any number of factors, I guess, but I, I suspect that youth and, and uh, the sheer number of new signings that Lampard is attempting to, to get in there, plus the disruption of losing a lot of players in similar positions uh, has contributed to that. But there is your reality check. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as usual, listener, we ask you for your input via Twitter. Loads of questions came in and, and the vast majority of them regarding Kai Havertz and, and Timo Werner and their current lack of form. Shabe uh, asking, how did Chelsea get the best out of the pairs? Aid concerned about Werner's slump. Super fit tomato, which I suspect is not a real name. Um, wondering how to get the best out of the pair. Now, because he's got the finger on the pulse, this is exactly what Liam wrote about for Athletic subscribers in the aftermath of Tuesday night. If we take them individually, Liam, have a, somebody who you've been championing. We know he's had the um, the issue with COVID, but last night, again, it, it was kind of stark how poor his performance was, I thought, unfortunately. Yeah, I think it was maybe his most anonymous of the season. He was completely off the pace. Most of his passes were sideways or backwards. The ones that weren't generally went to Wolves players rather than Chelsea ones. Um, he didn't create a single chance. He didn't have a single shot. So yeah, it it, it was a, a really bad night for for Havertz, even within the context of a of a pretty poor collective Chelsea performance. And I thought Timo Werner was was very peripheral to the game as well. Um, Wolves did a very good job of keeping him out wide, away from the penalty area, away from dangerous positions. Well, he didn't have a single shot on target. It's the third time in the last four Premier League games that that's been the case. Uh, and so you're looking at this and, and the piece I wrote for The Athletic after the Wolves game was was really addressing the, the fact that in this 4-3-3 system, you know, which Chelsea have looked so good in over the last few weeks and has seemed to have established some sort of identity for this team, Werner and Havertz's best positions, their ideal positions in terms of what they played so far in their careers, don't actually exist. Um, Havertz sees himself as a 10 primarily, although he, he believes he's flexible enough to play a number of roles. That's where he thinks he's best. And Timo Werner um, was maximised at RB Leipzig last season in a kind of second striker inside left role, which wasn't quite on the left wing, but it wasn't quite up front either. Chelsea don't play that way. Um, so Werner is having to adapt to playing on the left or in some cases on the right of a front three. And Havertz is having to 
to play as more of a conventional number eight um, in a midfield three. And a lot of the time against most teams, that, that won't matter too much because there's just so much talent in this Chelsea team, particularly when the wingers are fit, um, particularly when Hakim Ziyech is fit. There will still be plenty of opportunities for, for both of these guys to, to shine and to express themselves. Um, and it's actually very rare that in a talented squad you have everyone in their absolutely ideal positions. The key is just that you have a structure that makes sense. But at the moment, 4-3-3 doesn't make a ton of sense when Chelsea don't have um, a lot of fit, natural wingers. And and that's what we saw against Everton and it's also what we saw against Wolves. What do you think, Simon? Would you be giving Werner and, and Havertz a rest? Would you be changing the formation to suit them? I'd say look, look both of them just look shot of confidence. Like they, they look destroyed to be honest at the moment um their body language there it there was a moment where a cross came in Werner was at the back post it reached him and he sort of absolutely I don't know what he attempted to do but he sort of shanked it straight out of play and he just looks really sorry for himself this is a guy that forget his lack of goals of late his inability to do the simple things is what alarms me he, he sort of passes balls sort of straight to an opponent it, it's just like <laughs> this is not the player that Chelsea sort of signed. The problem for Lampard is, politically, if Chelsea lose games with Werner and Havertz, two expensive signings, out of the team, then it's not going to go down very well with the powers that be. They spent an awful lot of money on these guys. He's under pressure to get them to, to deliver. But if they're sitting on the bench and Chelsea lose games, then... You know, questions are going to be asked. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if these two are, are just consistently picked, regardless, because Lampard can ill afford to be seen to be resting them. It's a, he's in a very difficult situation because you have to say, um, both of them, one, they look like they need a rest, but two, they don't actually deserve to be in the team at the moment. Dom, this is this is tricky, as Simon said, for for Frank Lampard, isn't it? And, it, and he's coming in for a bit of criticism, I notice, from supporters for the for the first time. In a while, you have to say it's kind of deserved, isn't it? In terms of tactics, selection, substitutions, he hasn't hasn't really got much right these these past two games. You could argue that definitely. Uh, when when the results don't go your way, then the criticism will always come back on him. And I think actually, it's a, amongst the section of the support, it's always been simmering in the background that these these doubts over Lampard's managerial ability, and um, I guess that's born of a culture at a club that has been more used to bringing in more experienced managers over the years and, and, and maybe an element of the support that, that doesn't, <laughs> I have to be careful with this because it is politically difficult as well. But I mean, there was, a, I think there's definitely an element of the support out there that, that doesn't just see Lampard as a, as the club icon that he was as a player and, 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 you know, possibly rightly are, are very much assessing him as to you know whether he should be there, does he boast the credentials to be there as a manager, and those questions will flare up whenever Chelsea have poor results. I mean, we've we've spoken about Lampard's appointment in the past, and it makes it made a perfect sense when it when it happened. And I think the club are quite right to keep going and pursuing um, the faith they have in 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 Lampard. Uh, I th- I'm sure he will develop into an excellent coach, but he is learning on the hoof at, at the top of the game, and it's brutal and unforgiving and you know away games at Everton and Wolverhampton Wanderers where plenty of clubs will come unstuck this season are ex- will expose him at, at times I, th- I think the worrying thing last night was the sort of the, the, how passive he was in the in the last stages of the game it seemed to be sort of 
from from viewing him on the touchline anyway it seems to sort of be he seems to be helpless and and that's not a good look but but I don't think he's got necessarily weirdly the the options to 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 shift things dramatically from from the bench I mean when you have an overload of of injuries in in one part of the team and it's denied you your natural width um how do you shake things up dramatically on the pitch? If, if perhaps he should have gone three four two one at the beginning, I think Liam makes that point in his piece of this morning. I think there was a logic to that because it does encourage, you know, Chilwell and James to provide you with your width, the width there, and a bit more solidity at the back. Perhaps those are the things he's making the wrong decisions over. Um, and they worked well last season. He, he, when he shifted to three at the back, invariably, I think Wolves was actually one of the first games he did that away, actually. And, and he invariably, it worked for him. Maybe he needs to be a bit more flexible in terms of his, his tactical approach leading up to games. But, you know, I think it's, it's, just, a, it's just an extreme, extremes at the moment. He, he loses a game, you know, that everybody's out to get him. He, he wins a game and Chelsea are going to win the league. We probably need to be somewhere in the middle, to be honest. He's a manager that's developing all the time, and this is a team that's developing all the time. I still think they're on the right track, definitely. But you know, we we need these reality checks now and again just to just to keep us grounded. It is worth pointing out, and this is no excuse for the two performances. But you look at the league table, and Chelsea are two points above Manchester City, and and it's kind of like before the start of the season, is the classic. Oh, you know, going into Christmas, would you would you like to be two points above Man City. Uh, we're recording on the day of the, the Tottenham-Liverpool game where whatever the result of that game is, um, Chelsea will be a maximum of six points You know, if one of the teams win behind top spot. It's not a horrific situation that Chelsea find themselves in. It's a big disappointment, of course, and Chelsea will be under pressure in the games coming up ahead, make no mistake about it. But it's very easy to get sucked into a very negative uh, mindset when actually if you look at the picture, it's it's not all as bad as it may seem to be uh, following the final whistle at Wolves. Well done, Simon. I needed that. Chirpy bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's a rare, a rare bit of positivity for me. Yeah, on a, yeah. Certainly early in the morning when I've not slept. <laughs> We're all here for it. Um, so that's the Premier League. <laughs> on Monday, we learn to Chelsea all face when the Champions League resumes next year. We'll discuss that tricky time next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. So what's that about winning your group, giving you an easier draw in the last 16 of the Champions League? Doesn't appear to have worked out that way for Chelsea after the Blues were paired with Atletico Madrid in the knockout stages. As a result of Monday's draw, that tie will take place over two legs in February and March. Difficult to preview a tie so far in the future, but we're going to have a go anyway. Um, Liam, what do you think? Was that as difficult as it could have been? Pretty much, yeah. Um, not just in terms of the, the, the identity of the team, in Atletico Madrid and what they've achieved in in the Champions League over the last few years and the the calibre of coach that Diego Simeone is, um, but also the style of team they are. I mean, we've just seen 
Everton and Wolves are seeing a low block, you know, kind of take them apart on the counter attack and 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 you know exploit their their mistakes in defence. And Atletico Madrid are essentially the 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 best in the world version of that type of team. Um, so this is a, a difficult, a very very difficult tie. Um, I personally am very much looking forward to seeing Diego Costa back at Stamford Bridge and the madness that will no doubt accompany him. Um, it's it's going to be a really difficult tie. I I actually think it could be the the right level of test though for this young Chelsea team in the Champions League. They haven't won a knockout stage tie um, since 2013-14 when they got to the semi-finals and were eliminated by Atletico. Um, they've had a tough run of opponents since then. But while Atletico are a very, very good team, very, very experienced team, they are more beatable than I think the peak Atletico sides that got to the Champions League finals, um, or at least they they look that way. I mean, they they were eliminated by RB Leipzig last year, so it can be done. Um, and if Chelsea produce their their best level, then they they can get to the quarterfinals. And I I think that that's the kind of European seasoning that this group needs. They need they need big tests, and you can say it's bad luck to get it in the round of 16 and to a certain extent it is but you do have to play very good teams if you want to get deep in the Champions League this is the big boy competition you feeling optimistic about it Simon Liam's right isn't he and they're, they're not the force that they were <laughs> top of the league aren't they <laughs> they're, 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 you know, I'm just looking at now uh, the they're joint top base. of the league they're joint top and they've got two games in hand so they're doing rubbish <laughs> Yeah, uh, but I mean, Champions League-wise, last few seasons, not they've not been quite beat at, at Liverpool the level last they were season. a few years ago. Oh, all right, look, yeah. Chelsea going out of the Champions League in the last 16, folks, end, I'm afraid. This is the worst draw they possibly could have got. <laughs> Merry well, Christmas, no. everybody. <laughs> well, if you want some positives, here you go. I'm, I'm, I'm on a roll here. I'm on a roll. Okay. <laughs> I know it's a few years ago, but don't forget, the last time Chelsea went to Atletico Madrid, they won there. Um Okay, the team's changed a little bit. Um, there's no Eden Hazard. But that was a team that won with the mighty Timo Bakayoko in midfield. And that Marata was probably the front. best game for Chelsea, wasn't it, Bakayoko? He, he did have a good game. And Batshuayi got a last minute, you know, another Chelsea legend, Batshuayi with a last minute win. It was, it, it was a, it was a, you know, they, they've got that sort of positive sort of memory, um, some of the players that are still there um, from that game. Um and look, it, yes, it's go, it's going to be difficult, obviously, but you you could argue that sort of reading into where they are in La Liga is that quite the same accolade as in normal years? Real Madrid that they've started to rebound a little bit, but Real Madrid and Barcelona aren't the forces they were. Um, so yeah, that's my attempt at being positive. <laughs> I don't know whether it's worked or not. Um, but yeah, Luis Suarez, he's another one um, Chelsea fans will have fond memories of um, of facing. So they'll, Chelsea will want to get the better of him after what uh, what happened. Certainly Brandon Slav Ivanovic might be rooting for Chelsea on, uh, on that day. <laughs> um, Dom, it's a really mouth-watering draw, actually, isn't it? Just looking at some of the ties, it's not as if there, were, there was one that you think, oh, well, that would have been far, far easier than Atletico Madrid. The, the, all the teams in there are a pretty high standard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you'd expect that in the Champions League last sixteen. Um, so it's look. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm in jest, really. I mean, I do think that they 
that Chelsea will have a good chance of, of, of going through against Atletico. But I just think it's 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 almost a, a tie that, that of teams at different extremes of their, of their development. You've got a, a, a young team that's coming through at, at Chelsea and you've got a, a lot of seasoned streetwise performers at Atletico, but but maybe not with the the energy in their legs that that, uh, that Chelsea should boast. Um, I mean, look, that, that's again, even that's a sweeping gen- uh, generalisation because Yao Felix is having a, a good season at Atletico Madrid and he's still young. But but it's it's a it is a mouth watering prospect. I can't. I agree with Liam. I can't wait to see Diego Costa. I mean, if if he's if he's fit, on form, and selected, then the subplots around his performance in those two legs are going to be absolutely intriguing. I mean, this is a player that Chelsea loved when he was with them, but I imagine will absolutely loathe playing against them again. I mean, it's 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 that in itself will be worth either Simon or Liam just tracking his every move on uh, on both those those, those ties. Uh, Not sure I want to get too close. <laughs> it's, uh, the, the other thing to bear in mind, of course, is that these ties are happening in February and March and we, we, we don't know what's, what the state of the teams are going to be in the, at, that, at that stage. They could have strengthened or indeed lost players um, by the time that the matches actually take place. So it, on paper, it looks... It looks a brilliant, brilliant time. It is something to look forward to in, in the new year. Um, let's see what state the team's in when they go into the uh, into those matches, the head-to-heads. Yeah, first leg takes place in Madrid, Tuesday 23rd of February. The return at Stamford Bridge, Wednesday the 17th of March. Uh, before then, Chelsea have a London derby to prepare for. We'll preview the game against West Ham after this. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. So Monday night football, Sands fans next up in the Premier League for the Blues as Frank Lampard faces his old club West Ham United in Chelsea's final game before Christmas. Um, Simon, they're having a, a pretty good season by their standards and, and we know Chelsea lost this game last year. It could could be sticky on Monday. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, West Ham will be looking forward to, to facing Chelsea for sure. Um, did the double over them last season um, and, and play play a similar kind of football that that Chelsea have struggled with in, in the last two games. Full credit to David Moyes. I mean, he when he got the job again, let's just say West Ham fans weren't exactly dancing in the street, um, but he's doing a tremendous job and, and they will really, really fancy their chances of um, of making, uh, of piling on the misery for Chelsea. But this is massive for Chelsea. Like They've got to, got to respond. They've got to get a win going into the into the other festive fixtures because, um, yeah, then there will be a lot of increasing talk about Lampard's position, etc., etc. Inevitably, whenever Chelsea go 
through a bad run and, and losing to uh, their London rivals would will not go down well at all. One one of six against West Ham, Dom. It, it, does that have any kind of bearing on the fixture at all? I mean, there's probably been, what, three different managers in that time? I wouldn't have thought so. Again, the closed behind closed doors element to it um, probably makes it a bit alien to, to those previous encounters, uh, or most of them anyway. Uh, but but Chelsea have good reason to be wary. I mean, West Ham's West Ham used to be such a uh, they used to be fallible on the road, didn't they? They were a bit of a soft touch, really. They, you, you, you felt you could bully them into submission, but. Uh, under Moyes of of late, they've they've really steeled themselves uh, away from the London Stadium. And look, just looking at their, their their recent results on the road, I mean, they win at Leeds, which is a good result. They win at Sheffield United. Everybody does that at the moment. Um, they, they led at Liverpool and and probably unfortunate to to lose that game narrowly. Then there was that frenzy of a of a game at, at Tottenham where they were absolutely blown out of blown away in the first 19, 20 minutes and then end up drawing 3-3 with that tremendous late goal and go back one game further and they're winning 3-0 at Leicester. So that's a team that actually seems to be thriving away from away from home, uh, which I suppose isn't that difficult given that the, <laughs> the London Stadium is, is so soulless. It probably doesn't ever feel like a home for any team. Um, but it, it, look, it'll be, it'll be a real test. It'll be a real test. They'll have to break them down. They've got pace on the counter again. They've got strength. Uh, they've got a, a central midfielder that, that a few clubs have looked at, and Chelsea being one of them. Um, so it's a, it, it's it's proper a proper occasion and and a real test to see how Lampard can instigate a recovery in this Chelsea team. Uh, Liam, when I spoke to Lampard after Wolves, I asked him about Ziyech and Hudson Odoi and whether they'd be available for this game. He said possibly. Is is there a risk that he might try and rush? Ziyech in particular, back a bit too soon, given what we've seen in the last few games without him? Uh, I'm not sure about that. I think the general record of Lampard with injuries over his time is that he's he's tended to be cautious about bringing players back into match action, uh, particularly when it comes to, to hamstring injuries. I mean, he could have probably tried to play Pulisic against Everton. He didn't because... They they know Pulisic's record of of injury problems, um, and they didn't want to take any unnecessary risks. So I I can't see him um, taking any risks with with, with Ziyech and Hudson Odoi. Although clearly, you know the the temptation is is there to to try and push them back. But the the problem is a hamstring injury. The unique nature of it is you you can't really rush it. It's ready when it's ready. And if, and if you try and play someone before it's ready, you, you will make it worse. Um, so I think Chelsea are going to have to have to get by with, with what they've got. Um, I, I doubt those players will be, will be available to be honest. Um, they, they at least can't work on that assumption and there's no excuse for um, physical jadedness. You know, they've got the best part of a week to recover and prepare for this game. So, first of all, they need to match West Ham's aggression and intensity, uh, which is something they didn't do in the two games last season, and then try and find the the quality and the coherence um, that they've shown in the last few weeks, and 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 hope that players like Werner and Havertz can can find a little bit of confidence and rhythm in a in a system that's functioning a little bit better, whatever whatever that one is that that Lampard chooses to go with. 
So that game is eight o'clock on Monday night. It means we'll be recording our final pod of the year on Tuesday next week so we can react to it. Uh, we're nearly done for this bumper episode. Still time though to round up the rest of the Blues news. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, the women's team won 1-0 at Brighton at the weekend. They struggled against the Seagulls last season, only picked up a point in the away fixture, so that's progress. Speaking of progress, Sam Kerr continued her upturn in form with the only goal of the game. Also, since last we spoke, Emma Hayes' team played the first leg of their round of 32 Champions League tie against Benfica, thrashing them 5-0 away from home. Return leg at Kings Meadow tonight, as we record, that's Wednesday. I think we can safely assume that they made it through to the round of 16. The draw for which isn't until February and the ties um, played until March. Uh, Chelsea play their final league game of the year against Spurs this weekend. In terms of the men's academy and development sides, under-18s went down 2-1 away to Fulham this past weekend. Chelsea perennial title winners are at least challengers in the under-18 Premier League South, but currently way down in seventh in the 13-team division. The under-23s, though, plus Petacek, definitely older than 23, they played Spurs on Monday night, came from two down with half an hour to play to win it 3-2. Miles Pert-Harris notching twice, including the winner. Um, Simon and Liam, you both watched this. It, it, it was check watch, essentially. How did he do? First half, not so good. Second half, pretty good. Um, to, <laughs> All right, Sven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to try and reinvent that particular phrase. Um, his second touch, his second contribution to the game was to shank a pass straight out of play for a corner. Um, the corner which led to Tottenham's opening goal. And, and then... For the second goal, I think he was he was less obviously at, at fault. There was a, a, an excellent whipped-in cross into the box. He kind of came for it, but kind of didn't. Ended up in the middle, and it was a fantastic header from Dane Scarlett. Passed him into the top corner. The funny thing was, Czech didn't really have a ton else to do in the game other than those two moments. But he was certainly not helped by the fact that that Chelsea as a team really weren't at it in the first half. And it, he was pretty commanding in the second as they as they established themselves in the game. Um, I remember him coming to claim one high ball with a with an ear-splitting roar of, Keeper! So he, he, he was good in that sense, and I'm sure it must have been a great experience for these young guys to play alongside one of the most decorated and, and revered goalkeepers of his generation. Uh, and, he, and he even had to, had to come out and act as peacemaker during the mass brawl that happened in the second half. Um, when when Danny Drinkwater responded to to Alfie Devine's tackle, I'm sure he didn't envision that as as, as part of his remit for the night. But um, there he was pulling players apart and telling telling people half his age to calm down. Um, yeah, but that it, was pretty incredible. That really wasn't. It? I mean, <laughs> we could do a whole podcast on on Danny Drinkwater's mentality. I think, but he was. I mean, he was on the receiving end to start with. With that, wasn't he? It wasn't like he instigated. It was a horrible tackle on him. Yeah, it was an awful tackle. Um, we have to remember that Alfie Devine is sixteen, and maybe Danny Drinkwater didn't remember that in the heat of the moment. Uh, that's probably the point that many people made to him quite forcefully in the immediate <laughs> aftermath. Uh, but it, yeah, it was the latest in a in a series of kind of ignominious episodes for for Drinkwater in this bizarre, well, bizarre sort of second half of his career, really, since he joined Chelsea. But yeah, Czech was a, a more universally positive influence on the game, and Chelsea mounted a spirited comeback and and managed to to beat their, their bitter London rivals. So you, you could tell that it mattered at the end of the game as well, and I think. Even if Czech couldn't get a clean sheet, 
the the win was the the next thing he would have taken from that. I do wonder whether Czech had a word with everyone at half time and and sort of stressed the importance of not losing to Spurs. I don't think he experienced it many on many occasions, certainly in a Chelsea shirt. But I I, I sort of just felt that the um, we we saw a difference in the professionalism of two veteran players in Czech and Drinkwater. And, and Drinkwater, the timing of the incident, yes, it was a bad tackle on him, but not only did he um, show, you know, sort of get his retribution in, he then squared up to the, the Spurs players that came in. And I just thought the timing of it was just so idiotic. You know, this is a, this is a guy that, that wants to get a move away in January, obviously. He's trying to attract some interest. And anyone watching that would be thinking... Well, why should we take a punt on this guy? Not only is his career, um, he's barely played any football for the last two or three years, but unfortunately he can't seem to sort of get things right on or off the pitch regarding his behaviour. And it was it was just a, a very sort of disappointing thing to see. Um, and I'm sure Chelsea felt the same. But on the, on the plus side, you know, it was great to see the, the Chelsea kids come back um, and you know Livermento bombing down the down the right flank as he did, um, and the way that they all celebrated, put Harris's uh, late winner all sliding on their knees. I think it just shows how the, the Chelsea Spurs rivalry is alive and well at, across all the age ranks at, at Chelsea Football Club. Yeah, just as it should be. Um, Dom, not really got your opinion, I don't think, on the on the Petacek issue. It's it's a nice novelty that he played in this game, but but why is he doing this? I, I still can't quite get my head around it. That's you and me both, to be honest. Uh, I, I'm not quite sure how Kepper would feel about it, um, or even Willy Caballero, to be honest. If if it's a matter of gaining gaining some game time and just just staying as match sharp as he possibly be can be, uh, in, in, you know, given that there might be an opportunity if there's a sending off or an injury to to Mendy, uh, it's there. Yeah, novelty. It's nice to see Petrček back. Don't get me wrong. It was he was hugely popular uh, amongst supporters and press alike while he was playing at Chelsea. But that that era has passed now. Um, I, I just. I just I, I, I understand that there may be a logic in terms of of uh, youth players and and possibly if 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 certain people don't want to be picked for the twenty threes or, or Lampard doesn't want them in, involved. I mean Liam might be better to to fill us in on that, but but I just I just wonder how it's the senior keepers at the club feel that there's a chance for some game time here. Look, maybe they sneer at under twenty threes football back in the day. I'm feeling old now, but back in the day when it was at the reserves, um, when you were put in them, it was almost a slap in the face sometimes. But so maybe that's that is the the overriding impression still. But I just think there's a logic in giving people game time and keeping them fresh. The explanation I was given when we found out that Czech was going to start this game was that Lucas Bergstrom, the regular, the team's regular goalkeeper, had played on Saturday for the under 18s. They didn't want him to play twice in 24 hours. Um, Carlo Ziga, who could have stepped in, uh, is currently in the first team bubble and they wanted to keep him there because apparently he is regarded as above check in the pecking order um, for, for senior goalkeeping duties. Now, if you're telling me that if there was a Premier League game next week and they were the only two fit goalkeepers and Lampard needed to win... We'd see what what decision he would make in that in that situation, I guess. But that that is very much the the message at the moment. 
Chelsea, Chelsea's kind of approach to this doesn't make a ton of sense, really, um, because if if they want Czech to to keep his his eye in, so to speak, um, and and keep some level of fitness in case there's first team involvement, well, if you're also saying he's fifth choice, how unlikely is it that he would actually get an opportunity, even in COVID times? It seems very, very unlikely. You, you're either going to put him in the team by design or you're not. Um, and, I, and I've already got one eye on that FA Cup third round tie against Morecambe next month. And I, I'm very interested to see what happens with that, whether whether Czech is involved to some degree. And I think if he is involved at some stage, as as Dom alluded to, I, th- I think there's a there's a real possibility it causes political problems with with Kepper and with Caballero because these guys, you know, signed up to. To, to be the the primary well Kepa signed up to be first choice but they both signed signed up to be the primary uh, backup goalkeepers uh, for for the first team and if the technical and performance advisor is playing in front of them that that could be quite problematic yeah it's very strange all right that'll just about do us for this week before we go though let's hear what the Japs have got on the site for athletic subscribers to enjoy um Dom you've got a piece of two halves in terms of maybe how Chelsea supporters will will feel while they're reading it it's the story of Jose Mourinho's second coming it started well it didn't end very well if people want to start reading it now they might finish it just after Christmas um <laughs> yeah the, a, a bit about really about 2015. Uh, from maybe taking it on from about April May time in 2015 when when Chelsea I think we forget how dominant Chelsea were that season winning the Premier League title with three games to spare um, with that that team with Costa who we mentioned earlier and Fabregas doing so well um, and then the, the the complete calamity that was the 2015-16 season that saw ultimately saw Mourinho smuggled out of the training ground in the boot of Silvino Luro's car uh, once he'd been sacked in in mid-December actually uh, December the 17th when I think this pod will probably be coming out so five years ago Um, but yeah it was it was a quite a fall from grace and and lots of different factors involved and it hence me uh, writing 10,000 words on it (laughs) apologies to all concerned Um, Simon, your piece on, on Christian Pulisic, pertinent even though he played against Wolves, he's been he's been in and out of late, and and it's something that that is on Chelsea supporters' minds whether he can maintain any sort of fitness for a sustained period. Yeah, I mean the, the damning stat is he's started sort of less than fifty percent of of the Chelsea games have been played since he arrived um, in in the summer of two thousand nineteen. Um, officially joined up the squad then, of course. And yes, it's an ongoing concern. Um, they're doing their utmost to, to work on his condition. But he, he sort of, every time he went down against Wolves, it sort of, there was this, you could sort of just sense that sort of every Chelsea fan around the globe just, just sort of wincing and, and sort of hoping that this wasn't going to be another setback. But then you also saw against Wolves, you know, what he can do, like what a difference he makes. You know, the difference with the Everton game where Chelsea didn't have any wide players. Um, of of Pulisic's ilk, um, and 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 when he was on the pitch against Wolves, it was a, it was a totally different threat. Um, so one to really sort of, it, it is going to be a continuing worry about Pulisic to sort of how many games he can play, um, and and Chelsea working on it, but it it's um, it's an ongoing process, put it that way, and and no one's more frustrated as I say in the pieces than Pulisic himself. You know that there are sort of suggestions that. You sort of read people sort of making out that he's a bit, 
you know, easy to pull out of games and stuff where it's not the case. This guy wants to be on the pitch and, and make an impact. Um, and just quickly, stuff that, that you can expect to read in the next few days. I'm, I'm not sure in what order, but um, yeah, I've done a big piece on uh, speaking about Kepper, um, his situation, um, along with my other colleague, uh, Adam Crafton, um, and also inevitably ahead of West Ham, a big piece on Declan Rice. <laughs> I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, Liam, we, we mentioned your piece on, on Timo Werner and, and Kai Havertz, which I'm sure you were trying to keep the uh, the tears off your laptop as you were typing that one. Um, I really enjoyed the um, the bit about Chelsea's golden generation of youth players and how they swept up all the trophies that were available to them too. Yeah, I really enjoyed putting together that piece and, and speaking to um, several of the academy boys who were part of those great teams in that historic stretch. So that's still up on The Athletic. Go and read that um, if you get a chance. Go and read the, the Havertz-Werner piece. I've got a piece going up uh, on Petr Cech following on from, from that game on that development squad game on Monday. I'm not sure when it will be going up, either towards the end of this week or maybe next week, uh, but give that a read when you see it. I'm off now until Christmas, so don't try to contact me um, <laughs> or talk to me about football. Um but in me. the meantime, <laughs> a, a general message, uh, all at desks. But in the meantime, I can only I, I can only say uh, go read Dom's big Mourinho palpable discord piece because it's it's one of the maddest stories uh, that I've ever covered, and no one writes stories like that better than Dom Firefield. So go and read it; it's really bloody good. Well said. Yeah, it was so good it <laughs> took us all back there. Sorry, <laughs> it's like the stress levels suddenly shut up, and I, it was you know. a mad time to cover Chelsea, though, wasn't it? I mean, I know it's it's, it's a mad club generally um, for 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 the journalists to to sort of <laughs> to, yeah, to cover on a daily basis. But my time that, that that those those months at the start of the 2015-16 season was something else. Yeah, it was quite a time to be working for Chelsea TV as well. I can tell you that. <laughs> Lots of positive uh, spin uh, interviews, Matt. Yes, quite taking uh, chicken poo. <laughs> and make it into chicken salad as they say uh, <laughs> <laughs> lovely listener remember right now if you subscribe to The Athletic you can give another subscription as a gift for free it's the perfect present for any football fan this Christmas wave goodbye to 2020 say hello to 2021 by sharing the gift of The Athletic's unrivaled football coverage for the whole year it's the perfect present for yourself and someone else just go to theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod that's theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod and sign up now and thank you so much for your company today stay safe we'll catch up with you again next week but for now from Dom from Simon from Liam and producer Adonis it's goodbye looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events we've got the spot our partner StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years providing a 100% guarantee with every order from a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.